You can go ahead and have a seat just for a moment. I, I love those words we got to sing because these last few weeks as we've been in the book of Hebrews, that's, that's been the message. <laughs> that's, that's, it's coming in and, and the author introduces us as if we needed a reminder of, of who Jesus is. And if you'll remember, he, he starts by saying, hey, long ago... Almost, almost as if it's one of the best stories we've ever heard, right? Don't, don't all great stories begin that way long ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? Once upon a time. Like, like almost that kind of phrase centers us. And it brings us into this awareness that that we're being brought into something that has already been established. That, that if, if it's already been established, then all of a sudden, my arrival into this story, which is much larger than me, means something greater than myself. So the author opens and he says, he says long ago, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And so these last couple of weeks, that's really what we've been wrestling with, that God, God saw us fit to speak to. And then there's this transition where, where if you're reading your Bible, it's the transition from Old Testament to New Testament. So that God used to speak to us through the prophets and through his word, but now he speaks to us through Jesus. Then all of a sudden, our awareness in the story of God changes because we are loved and we are noticed. And the author says, let me tell you about my Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of the nature of God. And then the rest of this book is kind of spent as a case study of understanding the greatness of Jesus. But not just His greatness, this great salvation that He brings to us. This awareness of our own fragility and our own inabilities to make right what is broken in us. So he comes in and he says, hey, pay attention to the offer of the gospel. Pay attention, those of you who are saved, lest you drift away and now we're not talking about losing your salvation we're talking about you not having your eyes on Christ and then the worries or the cares or the temptations of this world causing you to walk outside of a pasture that is green and plentiful and healthy and he says pay attention lest you drift away and then 
he brings us and he says, your great salvation consists, and this is where we've been building these last couple of weeks. He says, your great salvation consists on that God himself arrived in human form to do for us what we could not do in our best of efforts. And it's, it's remarkable that God would love us and he would come to our rescue. So we keep our eyes on Christ. And we see that when Jesus was willing to die, this is what we saw last week. And I, Oh man, it's good stuff. That when Jesus willingly laid his life down for us, one of the most powerful things in all of creation, in all of history, happened. Because in Jesus' willingness to die on our behalf, he disarms the greatest weapon that Satan has to attack us with. Death. But not just death, because we all get the sense that we're all going to die. A death that is separated in the hopelessness of sin. And so we get to celebrate the fact that we get we got to sing those words just a second ago that I called, he answered, and he came to my rescue. And because of that, I want to be where you are. I don't want to drift. And this is kind of where we ended our time last week in verse 17 said this, therefore, talking about Jesus, he had to be made like his brothers. And we could just stop there. And do you realize that if you are in Christ Jesus, he calls you a brother. He calls you a sister. That he calls you by name. So he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful, a merciful and a faithful high priest in the service of God. So we learn a lot right there, right? That he had to be made like us so that he could... such a bizarre phrasing of words so that he could serve us who really have no right to be served in any way. But it's so that he might be merciful to us, so that he might be faithful to us in the service of God. It's one of the most remarkable lines. In the service of God because it reveals the heart of of God the Father for you and for me, and that He loves you so very much to send His Son to rescue you. And that price comes at such a great and enormous price. And so He might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation. Did anybody use that word this week? Nobody? Really thought there'd be two. 
to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And what we said there was when Jesus makes propitiation, he makes payment for the wrath of God against sin. So, so when God looks at us and we are found in Christ, his wrath against sin doesn't burn against us. That because he loves us, he dealt with our sin instead of just sweeping it under the rug. Have you ever done that with a person? There was an offense against you. Maybe this is a parenting thing for you, right? A spouse hurts you. Your kid hurts you. Your friends hurt you. And you say, it's not a big deal. And you kind of try to sweep it under the rug. What happens when you sweep those things under the rug? Do, do they disappear? No, no, they don't. Just to let you know, everything that you've put underneath your refrigerator one day will still be there. You sweep things under the rug, all it does is make a lump under the rug. Because just not seeing it doesn't fix it. And then eventually, eventually, this is what happens relationally, eventually all that stuff comes back out. And so God couldn't look at us and say, you know, it's okay, we'll just sweep that sin under the rug because it doesn't remove it. There had to be a price paid for it. So he sends Jesus who removes that lump, that pile. And because of that, there's no, hey, remember that time you did this? So this, this leads us to verse 18. I wanted to get there last week and I couldn't, but I believe it's very fitting for us this morning. It's possibly one of the most recognized verses in all of Hebrews, maybe in, in a big portion of the New Testament. And I think, uh, I think this verse can take on many forms. And I say that because the Bible says that the Word of God is living and active. It says this, For because he himself, being Jesus, has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And I've worn this verse in many different ways over the years. I've worn this verse in in ways that are very unbiblical. Of like, well, I mean, Jesus knows what I'm going through, so... He's cool with it. And I think in the context of what was just what has been said, I think what it means is, is Christ took on weak and vulnerable human nature, not only so that, that he could experience death, but also so that he could experience dying and then sympathize with the temptation that comes with suffering and dying. We, we talked about this last week. This is our greatest enemy. It's our greatest fear that holds us in bondage. The fear of death. It says that, that, that he was tempted in that which he suffered. This, this wasn't 
temptation of, of necessarily, I think, lust or greed. I think this is the temptation of knowing that death is certain and becoming angry and resentful or sullen or, or self-pitying and despairing and, and unbelieving in the goodness of God. I think it's that moment in the Gospels when Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I think the point is this, that, that not only do we have the Word of God this morning proclaiming that you are free from the slavery of the fear of death, but, but you also have a Word from God this morning that, that when the trials come in your dying, when you're tempted to despair or self-pity or, or resentment or anger or unbelief, that Christ will come to you in that moment and help you and that, that he, will, he will come as one who knows and, and one who his own agonizing experience just know just what you are experiencing and will give you what you need to endure it. And so the logic kind of follows this way. If he's able to sympathize in the worst of the worst of your life, right, can we all agree that that we tend to think that when the doctor says it's terminal, that's the worst moment. That, that the Cowboys winning or losing today at 3 o'clock pales in comparison to that bit of news. Can we, can we agree to that? Are you, can you agree to that? All right. He's like, I don't know, I'm torn. But here's what that means. If Christ can step into that moment, the worst that it could be for you, and sympathize because... In that temptation, he also has been tempted. It means that every other area of your life, he sympathizes with. That I might not know what you're going through. Even if we had a shared experience, don't we wear those shared experiences differently? But that Christ has. And now the argument that people who just want to be a turd make is, well, that was such a long time ago. There are a lot more things in life. Like, has he ever really been tempted by whatever we've come up with in the last ten years? As if the human condition has changed at all from the garden. Never. It hasn't. So, so not only do we have that, we know that whatever the situation, that Christ has endured it to the end, that He is a merciful, He is a faithful high priest, and He will do it. And that, that's, that's what I think the context of the verse is. But, but I think you could also expand this to mean any of the temptations that you face again. And regardless of them, that the power of the reverse remains the same, that, that you and I can look to Jesus because He knows you, because He loves you, because He stands in the gap for you. That should change something here. That should change something here, and that should change something here with our feet. That this morning, what I think happens 
is considering that Christ knows us so intimately. I think what happens is that something should erupt in his gratitude. It's thankfulness. Now, that's not a, a clever transition into thanksgiving, right? Because we'll enter into this week and by the time Thursday night hits, we might be thankful for the people that we spent the day with. We might spend this week in irritation trying to get ready for all the stuff so that we can be thankful. But this morning, what I want us to do, it's just a small exercise that I think makes a great difference, is that you and I would stop And in your talk notes, basically I think the line says something, for this I am thankful for. Okay, now, here's what, if you've already tried to start ahead and fill in those out, you've you've missed it, okay? Because I'm not talking about these moments of counting your blessings. What I'd like you to do, just for a few moments, is to think through as we talk about what Christ has done. In fact, Lawson, let's let's leave up uh, verse uh, 17. You're going to leave it there for you. And if you are found in Christ Jesus, I want you to think upon your great salvation. Take some time either in prayer or writing these things out, which I think is much more helpful. And I want you to think solely on the salvation of what God has brought you and the role that Jesus plays in your life and the role the Holy Spirit plays in your life. And I want you to allow your heart to get around that. I want want you to allow your worship to get around that. And then spend some time in prayer. And there might be some of you in this room that are like, man, that's, this is going to be really weird. Let's do weird stuff then. Okay? Some of you say that's going to be really hard because you don't understand the season of life that I am in. And what I'm telling you is, let's do some hard stuff this morning. Let's, for some of us, the fight for joy is the fight for worship. So let's fight this morning. So the way this will work is, is we're going to, Chris is going to play. We're going to let you just look very spiritual for a little bit. Then when you kind of come to the end, we're going to, we're going to take communion today. Uh, and so uh, we have two stations set up. You could just do whatever you'd like. Grab just a small piece of the bread. Grab a juice cup. Uh, go have a seat. We'll all partake together. And so, so that, I guess it's a two-step process. Let's spend some time with God, and then let's get ready for remembering the price that Christ has paid for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you love us. And I pray over these next few minutes that through the power and the revelation of your Holy Spirit that we would celebrate the depth of that love. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said.
So, we as a church and really as believers celebrate communion because Jesus tells us to. There's only really a few things that we are called to do as the church and one of them is to baptize and so we celebrate baptism and one of them is communion and in the setting from where we get this practice came from the last night before Christ goes to the cross and he's having dinner with his disciples in an upper room and they famously dubbed this dinner the, the Last Supper. And there's a lot to be said about that last time that they shared a meal with one another. But through the course of the evening, he stops and he breaks some bread and, and he looks at his disciples. And this is what I love about it because, because they didn't understand at all what he was talking about. He breaks his bread and he looks at them and he says, This is my body that's being broken for you. And now we get to understand the context of that moment, right? Because we've read ahead. But for them, they're experiencing this in real time and they just don't know. And that in just hours, Christ's body will be whipped and beaten spat upon that he will be bleeding that he will die people say at the time was the most horrific death I believe even today is the most horrific way of dying so he says this is my body and it's being broken for you and then he says this he pours some wine and he says this is my blood that's being spilt for you. Then he says, and when you do these things, do them in remembrance of me. And so this is what we get to do over these next few moments, is we get to stop, we get to remember prayerfully some of the things that we just identified that we are thankful for. We'll start with the bread. Father, We thank you for the body of Jesus that bore the weight of our sins, that experienced the lashes of our transgressions. And we thank you that by his stripes we are healed. I pray that would be noticed and recognized today. We stop and we thank you. You may partake. Father, we thank you for the blood of your Son. And though we don't really have a connection with with blood sacrifices, I pray that we would understand the significance of His blood being spilt for us. That as you say in your word, without the spilling of blood, there can be no remission of sins. 
that we thank you this morning. That because of the blood of Jesus, we are cleansed whiter than snow. You may partake.